0: Welcome everyone, and a special welcome to Nathalie, um, who is new, and uh, Jordan, who often uh, doesn't often appear on our screen. But welcome, and welcome to everybody. Um, it's wonderful that you uh, that you chose to show up to share this practice today. My talk today has been a response to one of our Sangha members emailing me and asking the following question. I know this practice is about being in the present moment, being present, but what if the present moment is intolerably painful? What if the present moment is so painful that you really don't want to be there? You don't want to be in this moment because it hurts too much. So, pain is a core element in our practice. And, I doubt whether there's anyone who is present today who hasn't had this experience of the present moment feeling so difficult and so painful that you would give anything to escape it. And one response to difficulty and and what seems to be intolerable pain is to escape it to run away from it to do everything in your power to find a path beyond this moment and of course it's this is an assumption that If you don't like what's happening in the present moment, there is some place else you can go. Some better place, some other place that will be more comforting, more pleasurable, more tolerable. And sometimes we call this place Nirvana. It's a place, it seems to be a place, although nirvana is not a place, but it often seems to be a place where we can go, where there's no pain, where we're free of difficulty, of suffering. And this search for nirvana is a kind of perennial search that people make to be free from suffering because of course the thing that we most want to avoid and be free from is pain and suffering and so we deeply want to find that place where there is no pain and suffering This is kind of like the search for the earthly paradise. (laughs) Um, Nirvana, Um, Shangri-La, right? Um, El Dorado, the city of gold, all these, these, these utopias. And if we don't have it here, well, then there's always heaven where things are just perfect and blissful and there's no suffering and there's no body. Um, The Garden of Eden, this paradise where we're free, Nirvana, where we're free. So we search and search, we run, we run away from our pain and we grasp desperately for a way out an escape. But what we discover often is that, and of course there are many, there are many uh, opportunities for escaping our pain, not just going to some transcendent realm, uh, some ideal paradise or utopia, but there are lots of possibilities for escape right here, you know, we can escape not by going into the some transcendent realm, but into some more mundane realm, like food, <laughs> uh, shopping, <laughs> drugs, alcohol, that's a way of escaping the, the presence of pain that seems intolerable. So there are many paths that we're offered to escape from what seems to be intolerable pain, but what we often find is that the running away from pain affirms the danger of it, the the um, threat of it because we are trying to maintain a distance which is permanent and final. And we know that nothing is permanent or final. Everything is impermanent. So all of our escapes will inevitably be impermanent. But the running itself, the effort to escape is the beginning of suffering because it comes out of a resistance to the present moment. So we might say that there are kind of of concentric circles in which we begin with these sensations of pain and they can be physical they can be mental, they can be emotional, but they are sensations. They're feelings, they're bodily sensations. And as it, the, the thing that we can least tolerate is any kind of discomfort or pain. We, we have an immediate resistance and reaction to it. As we're sitting, you know, we feel our leg is starting to fall asleep. Um, we had the pins and needles or our back, we begin to feel some discomfort in our back. Well, immediately we react, no, uh, I resist this, this is, this is not good. Uh, there's, I have to do something about this. So there's that, that first arising of sensation, emotion, bodily sensation and then there's the resistance, which is almost immediate. And then there is the narrative that we build around this. Why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? I I I I lived a good life. I'm doing everything right. Um, who's to blame for this? Why Why is this happening now? You know, it's. What we call in Zen the second arrow. It's the first arrow is just the sensation, just the feeling, and the second arrow arises from the resistance to that, and then the narrative, trying to figure it out, trying to find a way to escape it. So, It's exactly at the point of resistance that our suffering begins. Because that resistance gives rise to a whole host of thoughts and stories that deepen our suffering. So when we practice Zen, we sit in front of a wall. There is no place to go. I think it was Carl Jung who said that the most terrifying thing for human beings is to face themselves. And one of the most probably the most difficult thing is not only to face yourself but to accept yourself completely so when we sit there's no place to go there's no food to reach for there's there's no drug there there's no plug the plug-in drug is television and you know all the distractions. There are no drugs. There's no food. You can't go online shopping. We leave the cell phone at the door. And we face the wall, which is fundamentally facing oneself. No place to go. Sit. (laughs) Just sit. And actually, it's not even a good idea to move around too much because it's that's about like, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not comfortable (laughs) just facing the wall, because I'm, I'm having to be intimate with myself, to be intimate with myself, no distractions. So, When we sit facing the wall, when we make a deliberate choice to look deeply at our pain, at our suffering, to be curious about it instead of running away from it and creating stories around it, to simply look deeply at it. This is our awareness practice. Becoming more and more aware of what this is. What is this that I call pain? I think there have been some studies which correlate pain. That is, if you don't have a brain, you don't have pain. (laughs) All you have is sensation. (laughs) But pain is something beyond sensation. It's something that happens in the mind. Pain is a concept. It's a word. It's a concept that we apply to certain sensations. And so, one of the great virtues of pain is that it keeps us present. If we have pain, we pay attention to it. Ouch! I can't, my, I, I'm so focused on my pain right now, that I can't think about anything else. So pain can be an incredible teacher. It can help us be present if we use it that way. It can bring us back to this moment. There's nothing as good as pain to, to keep us present. But we can also investigate it. And if we investigate it, what Buddha taught is that there are three kinds of pain. The first one is called the pain of pain. Dukkha Dukkha, the pain of pain. It's just our ordinary pain. It's the pain of being born of being, getting old, of sickness, of injury, of old age and death. It's just the ordinary pains of being being a body and being a human. The second kind of pain, however, is the pain of change. It's called viparinama dukkha, suffering, the suffering of change. So we have a painful sensation. We don't want it. We want something else. So we want that pain to change into pleasure, or at least to change into no pain. Everything changes. So we we don't want what we have, and we also want what we don't have, which is a permanent state of Nirvana of bliss, of happiness. So we know that when we are experiencing pleasure, when we're rock climbing or listening to music or eating or petting our dog or running around with friends, those pleasures are going to disappear. That's the suffering, the pain of change. Everything that we enjoy, everything that we love, everything that we're happy about will change because nothing remains permanent. So we want to have that permanent state of no pain, no suffering, but it's inevitable that we will, we will lose that. And the last pain is called Sankara Dukkha, which is just the pain of existence. It's just because we're conditioned beings that we are subject to all kinds of causes and conditions that we have no control over. I don't have control over the fact that my back goes out or that somebody hurts me. Uh, That just happens. I don't have any real control. I mean, I can take all kinds of precautions against COVID and people do, but they still get it. And there are just things we, (laughs) just by being human, we just, just by being a a, a being who is dependent on different causes and conditions, there's that background of almost every moment has something about it that is not acceptable. (laughs) It's sometimes called the negative bias. So you can You can look at this moment and I bet you can find something that you don't like. It's too hot, it's too cold, the light's too strong, Um, I've been sitting too long, Uh, you know, I have a pain in my shoulder, Uh, I'm hungry. (laughs) It's almost inevitable that in every moment there's going to be some sort of I would rather something else. <laughs> and this is the general pain of just being human. So there's a, um, there's a wonderful little story which you may have heard about a way of addressing the inevitable pain and suffering of human existence. And it is a story of uh, during the civil wars in Japan, feudal Japan. uh, It was common for uh, armies to invade uh, towns and just kind of sweep through the town and destroy buildings and rape women and just kind of take over And in one particular village, um, all the villagers had word that one of these armies was going to invade their town. And so they all ran away. They deserted the town except one Zen master. And this Zen master remained in his hut in meditation. And sure enough, this, um, this army came into town. And the general heard about this Zen master who had not departed. And he the general became very curious about this fellow. So he visited the temple and saw the Zen master sitting in meditation and was very disturbed that this Zen master wasn't giving him the proper deference and respect. And he said, the general said, you fool. Uh, And he reached for his sword and brandished it before the Zen master and said, don't you realize that you are sitting in front of a man who can put this sword right through your heart without blinking an eye. And despite the threat, the Zen master seemed unmoved. And then he responded, and do you realize that you are standing in front of a man who can be run through by a sword without blinking an eye. Now, this can be taken as a, as a sign of courage that this Zen master addresses the general and say, says, you know, kill me. You can, you can run your sword through me and As you're not blinking an eye, I won't blink an eye either. But I think there's a a deeper significance to what the Zen master was doing. It wasn't merely an expression of courage, although that it was. But the Zen master was able to accept the inevitability of the moment. If he was going to be killed, so be it. If this was the moment of his death, so be it. And in this kind of deep acceptance of what was, what was inevitable, he actually met the present moment and disarmed it. not by running away, but by meeting it head on. So when I titled this talk, This Way to Nirvana, I really meant to say, This way is nirvana. There is no way, there is no other place besides this way. This way does not lead to an earthly paradise. This way is the earthly paradise with all of its suffering, with all of its pain, with all of its distress, this is it. And in, in Zen practice, you, particularly in Mahayana Buddhism, there is no distinction between samsara, which is the round of birth and death and suffering and relief of suffering. There's no distinction between samsara and Nirvana. They are absolutely one and the same. It's the way you live that makes the difference. It's the way you live that makes the difference. So I'm going to end with, um, first of all, I, I, when, when we say that, when in, in Buddhist practice, we say that this practice promises liberation from suffering, which it does. It practices, it, it, it promises liberation, but that doesn't mean that it promises elimination Of suffering. Freedom from suffering is is sort of like freedom from hunger. This doesn't mean that you're never hungry. It just means you'll be fed. Similarly, when we speak about liberation from suffering, we don't mean you'll never suffer. I think we mean, there is a way to address the suffering, so that you can be free of it, but it's not eliminated. So that's the way. That's Buddha's way. And we'll be talking about, in the next months, the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the way. But I want to end with a quote from Carlos Castaneda. Anything is one of a million paths. Therefore, you must always keep in mind that a path is only a path. If you feel you should not follow it, you must not stay with it under any conditions. To have such clarity, you must lead a disciplined life. Only then will you know that any path is only a path and there is no affront to oneself or to others in dropping it if that is what your heart tells you to do. But your decision to keep on the path or to leave it must be free of fear or ambition. Look at every path closely and deliberately. Try it as many times as you think necessary. Does this path have a heart? All paths are the same. They lead nowhere. They are paths going through the bush or into the bush. In my own life, I could say, I have traversed long, long paths, but I am not anywhere. Does this path have a heart? If it does, the path is good. If it doesn't, it is of no use. Both paths lead nowhere, but one has a heart, The other doesn't. One makes for a joyful journey. As long as you follow it, you are one with it. The other will make you curse your life. Before you embark on any path, ask the question, does this path have a heart? If the answer is no, you will know it. And then you must choose another path. A path without a heart is never enjoyable. You have to work hard even to take it. On the other hand, a path with heart is easy. It does not make you work at liking it. This does not mean there are no stones and logs and sharp edges along the way. It just means that this path has a heart. It may be painful, but the heart knows how to heal. Thank you.